from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Today is Trinity Sunday, and it is our Feast of Title here at Trinity Episcopal Church. And this Sunday each year, we talk about the nature of God as the triune God, one God, three persons. And it's also a great year to, or it's also a great uh, Sunday to give to your assistant, because you can never really explain exactly what the Trinity is or who He is and how the Trinity functions as one God and three persons. It's really difficult to preach because there's no good metaphor for how we describe God without being a heretic. And we, we, we've spoken about some of these things before, right? Have you, have you heard the one, God is like H2O? Anybody have the Trinity described to you this way? God is like, you know, sometimes in the form of water and sometimes uh, in the form of a gas and sometimes, you know, in the form of, of a solid. Well, that's a heresy called modalism. You know, it's kind of this idea that God is wearing different masks and playing different roles at different times. You ever see, um, you ever see a Medea movie or anything like that where, where you have Tyler Perry and he's kind of playing, or Eddie Murphy playing all the different types of roles in the same movie? Well, that's what modalism is. And, and, and you know, that's absolutely not who God is. And then there's another, there's another um, metaphor that we like to use that's also a heresy. God is like… Sorry, St. Patrick. God is like a three-leaf clover. Have you heard that one before? Right? You've got three different, three different leaves of the clover and the stem that unites them, and it's like, you know, this describes the Trinity. Well, that's actually not true. That's a heresy called tritheism. And you have three very near-distinct gods that are somehow brought together. And the danger of that one is that sometimes you can emphasize one, one part of God, one nature of God, one person of God, over the others. Let me say one person of God over the others. And then the third one, so, so what we talked about so far, we talked about, you know, H2O, talked about clovers. So here's another one. Uh, God is like a Venn diagram, right? You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then they kind of overlap and touch each other, and, and that's, you know, in the middle is where you really get the fullness of God when all three intersect. Well, that's also a heresy called partialism. It teaches that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are components of God, but they only become fully God when they're together. Now, I could go on and on and on and put you to sleep very quickly, but that's not my goal. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is no way for us to describe the Trinity uh, without falling into heresy. And now, these errors might not seem like a big deal to you. I mean, when was the last time that you called somebody a heretic? or use the term heresy, right? That's not a common colloquialism. That's not something we really think about, and all these issues of discussing the Trinity might seem academic to you. Well, they're not. Our fundamental understanding of, of, of the nature of God is incredibly important, and it, it, it has for us real-life consequences. Here's an example. There's this movement in the church right now to no longer refer to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but to instead refer to God as Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. You all familiar with this? Have you heard this anywhere else? And so, 
what they're doing that is to identify God according to His role and not by the name He has given us or the relationship He has offered to us. Well, for one thing, this would make God the only persons on the planet who are not allowed to self-identify, but, but the greater problem that it causes for us is that we start to relate to God on a purely functional level, and it erects a barrier between us. You know, what if I came home and my sons were like, hello, primary breadwinner of the house. You know, how was, how was, your, how was your day today? You know, hello, one who gives us bath time at night. You know, I mean, you know, referring to me according to my role. But God, God invites us into a much more into, intimate um, relationship with Him. You know, when my son Gabriel started going to preschool here, uh, and I'm the chaplain here, he got really confused for a while because everybody at preschool called me Father Gritter, but at home I was Daddy. You know, and so he, did, he really didn't know. He's like, he's like, why do you have two names, Dad? And then Mom calls me, you know, and then your, your wife calls you Josh, so now you've got three names. Like, what in the world is going on here? You know, I set him down. I said, you know, buddy, only two people in the world get to call me Daddy, and you're one of them. You know, that's a special relationship we have. That's something that we don't want to lose. And so, again, when we talk about the Trinity and our understanding of God, it's incredibly important for us. It's not an academic exercise that we begin to understand who God is, and we seek out the fullness of His Trinity. So, again, proper understanding of God has real-life implications for us. So, I'm going to go back to those heresies that I mentioned earlier, and we're going to touch base on those, all right? You with me? So, modalism, right? This idea of H2O that God changes forms when He deals with us. Now, what's the danger inherent in this idea? Well, it's that God's an actor, that He played the Father when He was creating, and then He played the Son when He was dying on the cross, and then He now plays the Holy Spirit with us, as though we're just kind of um, participants in this divine drama in which Jesus Christ did not need to die. And it, and it, it makes God untrustworthy to us because we never know who we're dealing with. We don't have a consistent idea, a consistent view of God, then it's hard to trust Him, isn't it? His motives are always hidden from us. The danger of the Trinity as a three-leaf clover, tritheism, is that you begin to think of God as three separate persons, and you begin to overemphasize one part of the Trinity over and against the others. And here's what I mean. A wrong emphasis on the Father, an overemphasis on the Father, and you may, may begin to love the rules right, the moral guidelines of our faith and the law and commandments that God has laid down, but then you have contempt for the feelings of the Holy Spirit or the personal nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know anyone who emphasizes the Father over against the other persons? Have you ever done that? A wrong emphasis on the Son, a wrong emphasis on Jesus Christ, and you might dismiss righteousness as unimportant. And you might be tone-deaf to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. And you might begin to live in a world where, yes, all is grace, but therefore I don't need to live in any way that God has given me to live. That's a wrong emphasis. Wrong emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And you might dismiss theology and tradition as irrelevant and led astray entirely by your feelings. Do you see the danger? Do you see the danger of tritheism, of emphasizing God over and against Himself? And the danger of the Trinity as a Venn diagram, the danger of Trinity as partialism, 
is you miss out on the fact that each person in the Trinity is fully engaged in the life of one another, that they are endlessly engaged in sacrificial love for one another, and that each person of the Trinity has been endlessly pouring out self-love to each other for all eternity. There's no jealousy in the Trinity. There's no competition. Each elevates the other. Each is satisfied not in one person's glory alone, but in the glory of the other. This is, by the way, what we mean when we say God is love. When we say God is love, what we don't mean is that God is some cosmic lighthouse with like a feel-good beam, you know, that He kind of just shines over everybody to kind of make them happy. Uh, When we say God is love, what we mean is God's very nature is self-love and pouring out love for the other persons of the Trinity. You cannot be love without someone to love. Does that make sense, everybody? That's what we mean by God is love. And and it's an everlasting outpouring of love. I mean, listen from Scripture how Jesus speaks to the Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples, and He's also praying for us. And he, and he, He says this to the Father, I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You have given Me to do. And then He expresses, but I'm coming back to You. I'm coming back to the fullness of our life together in heaven. And then listen to how how the Father speaks to Jesus. You remember this, right, at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then in Hebrews 10, the Holy Spirit is the one who is bearing witness for the Father and the Son to our hearts. It's this endless love, this endless pouring out of the persons for each other. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing us into that perfect union, into that love of God. You know, uh, at a former parish, I had a co-worker who had uh, three sons, uh, three sons that he loved really well, and they decided later in life that they wanted to adopt, adopt a fourth child, and they they brought this uh, uh, young young girl into their home and uh, made her a member of the family. You know, and she became a beloved daughter. And the background that she came from was incredibly difficult. And I don't want to uh, get it too many, into too many details of that now, but it certainly affected her, and it rocked her, and it made the ways that she acted out very difficult. She didn't want to be touched. She didn't want to be held. She didn't want to be hugged. She didn't, she didn't trust men. And she's young. Well, that was over a decade ago. And if you could see how this young girl flourishes by being brought into a household where every member is giving and loving and self-sacrificing for each other, you will see the change that takes place. And that's what God would have for us. You see, the, the Trinity, this love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this love that God desires to pull us into. When we heard in Genesis that we were made in God's own image, right? We were made after His likeness. It's because we were made for Him and to engage in the life of the Trinity. You know, the Eastern Church calls this theosis, and we might call it divinization. And the illustration that they use, and we've used it here before, is that um, like a blacksmith, when when you have a fire that's heated up and you put a piece of metal into it, that piece of metal takes on the properties of the fire, right? It becomes hot. It emits light. It takes on the properties of the fire that it is in, and the Eastern Church calls it theosis, and that, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's our goal, that's our telos, that's the reason for our being is to be drawn up into the Trinity. 
St. Athanasius wrote, the Son of God became man so that we might become God, that is, drawn fully into His presence and changed. That is the Christian hope. That is the reason for our creation, that we may be drawn into this vast, unmeasured, boundless love of God and be fully unified in Him. That's our future reality, our reason for being, unity with the Trinity, and please don't miss this, with each other. Full unity with the Trinity and with each other. And this might help shed light on the scriptural importance of brothers and sisters in Christ seeking unity even now. I mean, listen to how Jesus speaks to His Father about us. This is, again, John 17. And Jesus is talking to His Father, and He says, "'The glory that you have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in Me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent Me and loved them even as you loved Me.'" And yet, what a divisive year. I mean, we're divided by party, by policy, by race, and it's a moment of self-reflection for us Christians to find within ourselves that there's evidence of Christian charity or humility, to see if there's any desire or seeking of any understanding of another person's position. And there are few who are willing to make the necessary sacrifices to preserve Christian unity. You know, yesterday, I mean, and, and I'm sure you all have stories of the division even within the body of Christ that pulls us apart, and we're missing the end for which we are made. And I'm sure you all have many stories of, of these things that you've either experienced personally or you've seen. Uh, only yesterday on Facebook, I saw someone that I went to youth group with when I was a high schooler publicly call out her grandfather as a coward and a racist for not taking a particular stand to the applause of many. And then he subsequently denounced her and cut off all communication with her. They're presumably both Christians. Let it not be so with us. As we come together on Trinity Sunday on our Feast of Title to worship the living God, who invites us into unity with that selfsame trinity, let us remember first that we are those who are flawed, and we are those who are unworthy, and we are those who stood as enemies of the cross of Christ until, until the Father out of His love sent His Son to die so that we might be brought into this communion with the trinity by the Holy Spirit. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whose conversion to Christianity began during his imprisonment in the Soviet gulags, made this observation, and I think it's one that we would do well to heed. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? One of the profound lessons of the cross is that unity requires sacrifice. And so as Christians, as we, as we pursue Christian unity, because you know what, in eternity we're going to be spending a lot of time together. 
right? We're going to be bound to one another through the love, through the self-same love of the Trinity. I pray that we would find the courage and humility to make whatever particular sacrifices God is calling us to make in this time to seek unity with one another. Let's not lose sight of our reason for being, of our telos, of the end for which we are created, union with the persons for whom we are made and with each other. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.